Today, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I wasn't going to go back and finish the end of the chapter, but I felt kind of compelled to do that after I looked at the verses again and just seeing what is here and talking about a healthy church. Um, you know, the health of a church can change about any time because of things that transpire in our lives. And so we really need to take inventory of our own personal lives to see, are we spiritually healthy people? And Paul was really encouraging Timothy to be a spiritually healthy pastor and how vital that is uh, to be able to lead a spiritually healthy church. So we're just going to basically not exhaust this topic, but we're going to look at three areas in regard to a healthy church. When we think about our church, Bethesda Church, uh, we can assess, are we really healthy in the way that God wants us to be a healthy church? So beginning in chapter 4, with verse 13 in 1 Timothy, Paul says, until I come, so Paul had intended to come back to Ephesus again and visit the church, but he says, until I do come, here's what you need to do. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the first area that we really want to look at this morning in regard to a healthy church is this, that a healthy church is resolved to teach God's word. It sounds simple, but you can walk into a lot of churches today and you could go for weeks and never hear the gospel fully explained to where someone realizes they're lost and they need the Lord Jesus Christ and they're actually invited to receive the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives. And I challenge you as you listen to pastors on the radio or podcast or television, see do they really communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. He starts off here saying to devote yourself. He's saying a healthy pastor is committed to preaching the gospel. He is devoted to doing that. God's word is the spiritual food that keeps us spiritually healthy. Now this weekend, many of us has in, have indulged in food that's not healthy. If we've been to the fair, we've indulged in food that is not healthy, right? And if we, we enjoy it for the moment, but we pay for it later, we really do. And people who eat, though, from the table of the world regularly, without the intake of God's word, are going to be spiritually sick. Their attitude, their behavior, their decisions will be in opposition to God's word. Donald Guthrie says this about the verb when he talks about devote yourself. He said it implies previous preparation in private. In other words, as a pastor, I don't just come up to the pulpit and I come into the pulpit with no thought, no prayer, no preparation, no meditation, no study, and just wing it. No. It takes hours of study and preparation in my office before God, speaking to me, teaching me, instructing me so that I can give that to you. It's a very serious endeavor. Here's what 
Paul tells Timothy in another passage in 2 Timothy, if it will come up. But it says in 2 Timothy, it's not advancing for some reason. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see, in Bible times, there was a lack of scrolls available for the people to read. So oftentimes, they would come into a Jewish synagogue, and the, pre, uh, the rabbi would get up and he would read from the scrolls. We see that in the book of the Gospels when Jesus, in Luke, I think it was chapter 4, when he stands up and he reads the, from the scrolls, it says, from the book of Isaiah. And he reads that. That was a regular practice in a Jewish synagogue because they did not have many, many copies of Scripture. And so it was vital to hear the Word of God read for the people. It's still crucial for us to read the Word of God, even publicly. I think it's important to do that. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra the priest, as the people were delivered out of captivity, they came back and they built the walls around Jerusalem, and Nehemiah led those people. Remember what happened in Nehemiah chapter 8? Ezra the priest says he got up on a high platform and he opened the book, the Word of God. And what did the people do? When he opened the book, all the people stood up. There was a respect, there was a holy respect for the Word of God being preached. And it says he read from daybreak till noon. The scriptures and the people were weeping and rejoicing over the Word of God. We need to never lose our love for the Word of God. And as a healthy church, we must have a passion for the Word of God to be taught and preached for God's people and also for the lost people. And it says at the end of that passage that all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. He goes on to say to devote yourself to what? The public reading of scripture and then to preaching. Exhortation where people are challenged to change their lives, to become more holy, holy living. Preaching includes encouraging, persuading, correcting, even counseling, comforting, and warning but all with the idea of bringing people into live holy lives. Some of you have been to the fair this weekend and will probably go today or tomorrow and you're going to see a lot of people at the fair that God's word is the furthest thing from their mind. Absolute furthest thing from their mind. Be praying and asking God to give you opportunities to talk and plant seeds of the gospel with people. He goes on to say, teaching, explaining the scriptures. Teaching can happen one-on-one -on -one or a small group or a Bible study. We have ladies' Bible studies, men's studies, uh, many of opportunities of people to get involved in discipleship. Discipleship one-on-one -on -one with people as well is so vital. I'm hoping in the fall to bring some messages in regard to the Reformation because this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which was a watershed for the church. But the Reformation was all about these things right here. Grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone, through God's word alone, for God's glory alone. Those five tenets of the Protestant Reformation, people spilled their blood over. They gave their lives for that. 
those truths. The Reformation, the people of the Reformers were absolutely committed to the Word of God. In fact, Martin Luther, they said, would preach as many as four times on a Sunday. And John Calvin preached in Geneva for about 13 years. He would preach two times every Sunday and every other week he would preach every weekday, every other week. Incredible how they were committed to the word of God. Then he goes on to tell Timothy in verse 14, he says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. You know, it's one thing to get saved and all excited about the Lord and, and you do that for six weeks and then you just kind of fizzle out and it's all over. And some people have been saved for years and they've lost the love and the passion of serving the Lord and they have neglected the gift that God has given you. You need to rekindle the flame that God has given you. Rekindle the gift that God has given you. Timothy had the gifts of preaching, teaching, evangelism, and leadership. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't neglect your gift. He must have been sensing that Timothy was discouraged and ready to throw in the towel and just quit and give up. And that can happen with a pastor when he senses that the people aren't changing and growing and developing in their relationship with Christ. He can become very discouraged. Or if he has to confront people over and over, it can be very demanding and Timothy could have been getting very weary and tired. And Paul's saying, you know what, Timothy, if you're thinking about being tempted of throwing in the towel, ministry can be tough. He says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He tells him that in 2 Timothy 2, 3. Timothy, he even, Paul, when he prayed for Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 4, he says, Timothy, I even recall your tears. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why Timothy was in tears, but we know that when you're moved to tears, you, there's something going on inside. Pretty passionate. Timothy probably had such a weight of caring for this church in Ephesus that he was moved to tears, and Paul says, I remember your tears, but Timothy, don't quit. Hang in there. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When you're in the mood, when you're not in the mood, when you're on the mountaintop, and when you're in the valley. You know, it's easy to live for Christ when we're on the mountaintop and everything's going well, but what about when we're in the valley and there's no sunshine in the valley? How do I do in my walk with Christ? How do I use my gift in the body of Christ? Do I use it for God's glory and God's honor? Timothy, fulfill your God-given responsibility in other words, to stay spiritually healthy and to help keep the church healthy by using your gift in the church. I remember doing pulpit supply when I was in college. My uh, speech professor, uh, one day after class, I was talking to him and he said, he said, would you be willing to fill in the pulpit for me at my church? I said, sure, I would do that. And so it was a little bit north of town and I drove up there, it was a small congregation, it was a good opportunity, and I preached, and a few weeks later, he came back to me, and he said, would you consider preaching again? He said, but this time, not as just a pulpit supply, but would you actually consider going and preaching as a candidate to take the church? And I said, I'll tell you what, my answer is no. <laughs> and you know why I said no? I saw a spiritually unhealthy church when I was there. 
And I did not feel like I was the person to make them spiritually healthy. I felt it required somebody who had more experience in ministry and could come in and, and turn that church around. But it's amazing when you walk into a church, yes, you can sense a spiritual temperature in the church and how vital it is in those relationships. And we're going to be looking at that in a moment. It is so vital as we look at that. And so here, Timothy was evidently discouraged and Paul saying, don't throw in the towel. He says, don't neglect the gift that God has given you uh, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Then he goes on to say, he says, do it wholeheartedly, in season, out of season, so that everyone may see your progress. Notice he says, be diligent in verse 15. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. The word progress here is actually a military term. That military term was used for advancing an army against the opposition. In other words, the army doesn't sit still. It moves forward in spite of the opposition. Paul is saying in spite of the spiritual opposition that we face, we must forge ahead spiritually so that people see our progress. In other words, I've been here seven years now. I think I can say this by the grace of God, that I am not the same pastor that you hired. At least I hope I'm not. Because I should be. In other words, a pastor never comes into a church and he's everything God thinks he should be or everything God wants him to be. No, that's not the case and neither are you. We are all to be advancing and progressing spiritually so we are not the same people that we were a year or two ago. Even though the growth may be very slow, we should be progressing in our walk with Jesus Christ. That's God's desire. Well, secondly, a healthy church is resolved to teach God's word and then a healthy church is realized by its commitment to correct doctrine. This is so vital. Notice what he says in verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Correct doctrine is necessary. Why? For right behavior. How I behave morally, listen to this, how I behave morally will be determined by what I understand and believe doctrinally. That's what I believe. Doctrinal ignorance will result in moral decay in someone's life. The more I see people who have a biblical ignorance, the more moral laxity you see in their lives. Or moral misunderstanding. The difference between a believer's morality and an unbeliever's morality is that for the believer, we have an underpinning of doctrine that changes everything in how I live. It gives me a solid foundation on which to build my life. My life is built upon the rock of truth. And somebody who does not have the rock of truth, of doctrine in their life, is building their life on shifting sands and the culture and the time and the understanding that people do that which is right in their own eyes. And that leads to destruction. The Bible says there is a way which seems right unto man, but what? The end leads to death, destruction. And so we have to build our lives on right doctrine. Let me just 
briefly show a couple areas where this is so crucial, the definition of marriage, right? In our culture, our Supreme Court justices have changed who can be involved in marriage. This can be a man and a man, a woman and a woman, but they don't have correct doctrine. And so what is their moral understanding of marriage? It's skewed. Because the only place we can get the right definition is from the Word of God. We have to have correct doctrine. That's why in our church, Bethesda Church, by the grace of God, we will only have marriage between a man and a woman. Never anything else. Because that's what God established. I didn't make that rule. God did. And somebody else who has that misunderstanding is welcome to come into our church. I want them to come into our church so they can hear the word of God and understand what God's word says so they can begin to change and become under the influence of the gospel. But the definition of marriage will not change. No matter how many people say it should, it doesn't change. And so we preach it and we live it, but we have to have that doctrinal understanding. We have to watch our life and doctrine closely. Secondly, how I handle my sexuality. You know, we got all the transgender and all these different people coming up with these ideas about how sexuality is to operate. But God gives boundaries for that too and guidelines in the context of marriage in a loving, monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that is out of bounds. But people's morality says, well, this is what these people are doing. That's what those people are doing. Doesn't make any difference. We watch our life and doctrine closely. What is the biblical definition and understanding of marriage and sexuality? Turn to, you don't have to go there now, but write down Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Write down 1 Peter chapter 3. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. One man, one woman for life. And we can take people to the scripture and say, let's see what God says. This is not my understanding. This is what God says. And we take them to that and we lovingly show them the truth. Thirdly, what about my understanding of life issues? My understanding of life issues has to come from right doctrine. And let me just say this as a summary statement. Proper speech flows from the application of correct doctrine. Proper conduct flows from the application of correct doctrine. Proper faith flows from the application of correct doctrine. Proper love flows from the application of correct doctrine. And proper purity flows from the application of correct doctrine. It teaches us how to live. That's why we have to watch our life and doctrine very closely. Well, let's look at a third area. Third area, a healthy church is recognized by its communication among its members. How you and I communicate, how we treat one another, has a lot to say about the spiritual health of a church. Unhealthy members engage in unhealthy speech. Their talk is toxic. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Toxic speech. They infect other members in the body by influencing them to focus on the wrong things. So how we talk to one another says a lot about who we really are. And if we talk disrespectfully to one another, if we do that, it stems from a lack of commitment to biblical truth. That's what it stems from. 
a lack of commitment to biblical truth. Now, unfortunately in our day, and we heard this at the, those of us guys who went to the Global Leadership Summit, uh, this was just spilled out very well, uh, and that is this, the disrespect in our culture has risen and risen and risen. And unfortunately, it's at the highest office in the land of the President of the United States. Did you watch the debates, right? Some of the debates, and what did they do? They attacked each other with utter disrespect. Utter disrespect. It's no wonder children grow up and say, well, I guess that's the way we do it. Utter disrespect. And yet we can do that in the body of Christ. The more familiar we get with one another, the more we can disrespect. I told you what God is challenging my own heart with in recent days is sarcasm. God has convicted me greatly of that. I, I can be very quick to say something. And God has said, you know what, that's not right. That's not biblical. That's not holy. And so we have to change our, our speech. And our communication among its members is so vital. So what do we do? Well, when we go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says in the first couple of verses here, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Here, Paul is talking about Timothy as a pastor, and he's telling Timothy how he needs to deal with each of these people, the older men, the younger men, the older women, and the younger women, everybody in the church, in other words, Timothy. Here's how you handle and confront issues that need to be dealt with in the church to be a healthy church. First, you confront sin with the right spirit, but sin should still be confronted. We don't just sweep it under the rug. We have to deal with it, but in the right way. And we should be focused on blessing others rather than serving ourselves. And I like this Irish proverb that I came across, and it says this in this Irish proverb, a friend's eye is a good mirror. In other words, we need other people's input to see ourselves rightly. Now, ultimately, we need the Word of God. But if somebody else is a fellow believer in the Lord, they can give us insight and help us see blind spots in our life. Our wives are good at that. My wife helps me see blind spots. I don't think I have them, and then she points them out. I guess I have them. <laughs> and you have them, too. But here, basically, Paul is saying, notice how he uses the term father, Treat him like a father, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Those are all family terms because the church is a family. And he's saying how you operate as a family is so vital to have health, and you have to confront it in the right way. We're a family. Parents at times have to confront their children, right, or spouse about something. The spirit, though, with which we confront is so important. The words, the timing, the tone, the motivation, it has to be done in a spirit of love. Here's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, 
God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then he tells us, too, how we are to confront, which is vital, and I would encourage you to mark this passage down and be aware of it in Matthew 18. Here's what we are to do if, if somebody sins against us. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, not your buddy or your girlfriend. <laughs> you go and talk to him, not somebody else. I had somebody years ago when I was a pastor in Virginia, they came to my office and they started talking to me degradingly about another pastor. I said, hold it right there. He's down the hall. You got a problem with him, you go talk to him. And to his credit, he did, and he came back 15 minutes later and said, it's all resolved. I said, praise God. That's what we do. So if he sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Alone. If the sin is in private, it should be dealt with in private. You don't need to talk to anybody else about it. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then it says take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Be careful who you pick. Make sure it's somebody who wants to resolve the conflict, who will pray for it and is concerned, not just somebody who wants to <laughs> know all the details. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I don't think we do that quickly. I think we pray about it. We seek the Lord because the timing is very, very important in that. And we don't do it in a rush or a hurry. This should be the last resort. The last thing we want to do uh, is have to do that. But I think there's also a reminder here that our walk with God is a community project. It's not an isolation. And so therefore, the health of my walk with the Lord impacts your walk, and your walk impacts mine. It's a community project. It's a community effort in our walk with the Lord. We learn to exercise our spiritual muscles in this community of faith, and we learn to speak the truth in love. Because Jesus said the world will know we are Christians, how? By our love. By our love. So we confront, let me go beyond that one, we confront sin in love. Because he tells Timothy, don't rebuke an older man harshly. In other words, you do it with respect, Timothy, with utter respect. Daniel had to confront King Nebuchadnezzar, who was an older man, but he confronted him with respect. You can jot down Daniel 4.27. We won't take the time to read it now. You confront an older man like a father. And how is that? With great respect. How do you confront your father? Hopefully with great respect and love and concern. You go on and you confront a young man like a brother. As an equal, you don't approach him as one who is superior, but more like an equal as a brother in Christ. We see this in the example of Joseph who was mistreated by his brothers, yet the Bible says he spoke kindness to them. 
Thirdly, confront an older woman like a mother. He says in Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Proverbs 23.22, the Bible says a lot. Even one of the commandments, right? Honor your father and your mother. So if we show honor to them and we treat an older woman like a mother, we show honor to them in our confrontation of what we need to deal with. And then we also confront a younger woman like a sister with purity. And that is so important for a pastor that he deals with younger women with purity. That's God's design and his plan. Let me close with this. On October 25, 2010, there was a massive earthquake that set off a tsunami that struck the Indonesian islands. The tsunamis leveled whole villages, leaving hundreds dead or missing. According to the survivors, the deaths could have been avoided or at least minimized. Unfortunately, the tsunami warning system, two buoys off the island, weren't working properly. As a result, it did not alert the islanders to the danger. Since 2004, experts have improved the tsunami detection network. The DART buoys, as they are called, measure the wave height. If a buoy measures an unusual wave, it transmits that information to the shore. This system often provides the only warning signal for islanders to prepare for the oncoming danger. Unfortunately, according to the report, the buoys have become detached and drifted away. Sensors have failed. As many as 30% have been inoperable at any one time. As a result, the buoys often fail to awaken people to the reality of future tragedy. As followers of Christ, we have the privilege of sharing Christ's love, but we also have the responsibility to gently confront sin and warn people of judgment. If, like the buoys, we have become detached or drifted away and our love has grown cold or apathetic, we may be leaving others unprepared for the consequences of sin or life apart from Christ. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, let me ask you, the spiritual health of Bethesda Church, but even more importantly, your own spiritual health. Do you see Bethesda as a healthy church? Do you see yourself as a healthy individual spiritually? That when God's word is taught, your heart is touched, that God is speaking to you, he is challenging you, he is convicting you, he is drawing you. If you've lost that, I don't think the Holy Spirit has quit doing his job. I think we've quit doing ours. The Spirit is faithful to convict and to challenge us. We are resolved to teach God's word. Are you resolved to hear it 
and respond to it? Are you neglecting to use the gift that God has given you in the body of Christ? Your love for the Lord has grown maybe a little bit cold and maybe you're a little bit apathetic about your walk with Christ. This is a chance to renew and stir up that gift and say, God, I want to be spiritually healthy again. I want to use that gift in the body of Christ wholeheartedly. What about your commitment to correct doctrine? The way we show that is by our time in God's word to remind us and renew our minds about what we should be thinking about. What about your communication among the members in the church? Is it with the right spirit? Is it done in love in how you communicate? That's God's desire for each one of us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, shed his blood because sin requires death and a payment, and Jesus paid our sin debt in full on the cross. And you can give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He will make you new. If you don't understand or maybe you have questions about that, I'd be glad to meet with you after the service. Come by and visit with me or somebody else that can share with you from God's word how you can become a spiritually healthy individual with a personal walk with Christ. Let's bow together. which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, E as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Hero. Have a blessed day.